Hello, and welcome to The Future is Sound, a partnership in hearing podcast brought to you by Oticon Canada. I'm your host, Becca Angel, and thanks for joining me on my first podcast journey where we will chat broadly about all things hearing. We will launch fun new episodes every month, and if you have any suggestions or comments, be sure to get in touch. Okay, let's get started. Okay, hi everyone. Good morning, Erica. Thank you so much for being here. Our guest today is Erica Zaya. Uh, She's an audiologist with over 25 years of experience in vestibular assessment and management. She's also the owner of an audio vestibular clinic here in Vancouver. And from what I can see and find about you online and what I've seen in person is that you've dedicated much of your career to researching and learning about vestibular processes and sort of taking that information and educating others with your wealth of knowledge and experience. So very, very excited to have her as a guest on the podcast today. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's such a joy to be here and talking about vestibular to more audiologists. That has been, yes, my main goal in life. It was just to address that other half of the inner ear. So it's <laughs> that large other half that we tend to not think about nearly as much. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of harder to it's it's kind of harder to just do it all. I understand. I completely understand. I don't do hearing aids, for instance, and I and I so respect and value my colleagues who do hearing aids. And it's always nice to have that opportunity to share a little bit of what I do, what we do in vestibular with other colleagues. And so we can have a better, better understanding of our clients, our patients, and help more people in a in a more comprehensive way. So thank you for having me. Yeah, no, you're very, very welcome. Is there anything that you would add there? I know, like, how long have you had your clinic in Vancouver and Ah, it, I opened it up in 2018, and it was the first dedicated clinic for vestibular, and I'm still the only one. I believe in Canada, in the whole Canada, most of my colleagues do fit hearing aids and do do other things. I do a little bit of tinnitus counseling, and, and I do hearing tests, but it is a small minority of my patients, and it is mostly for people who come to me primarily for a dizziness vertigo or balance disorder that I then do tinnitus counseling. Yeah, I am probably the only one doing what I do without fitting hearing aids. And I do a lot of vestibular rehabilitation, which is not something that many audiologists venture into. In Canada, in North America, there are more physiotherapists doing vestibular rehab. But that's the part that I really love, not only providing diagnostic information to patients, but also telling them, okay, this is what we can do. Uh, So that has been a a huge part of my job. And mostly the reason why I left the public system to be on my own and having my own clinic, so then I could offer that kind of all-in-one, like one-stop shop. Yeah. 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 I was at UBC when you spoke to our class during like the audiology class about vestibular, but we get such a small snippet of, of that. (laughs) And everybody always like loves that portion of the course. Like it's, it's really interesting to everybody, but then I feel like it's 
can sometimes be hard to really kind of get that off the ground or really kind of, I don't know, decide, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on. So I think we'll like, we'll kind of circle back to that at the end as to like how we can kind of break down some of those barriers to learning more about vestibular at the end. But I just wanted to say that because I think everybody loves that part of the course and Mm. nice that you've, it's great that we have you sharing all of this information with us all the time. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it is such a pleasure. Thank you. So I thought we could start with, so for our listeners, just from your perspective and your knowledge, the relationship between the vestibular and the hearing system. Yeah. Stay tuned to May Hearing Month campaign by SAC because we're going to be focusing on that. So okay, cool. it is it is the, the most important comorbidity with hearing loss is a vestibular issue. It's a vestibular loss, right? So Again, it's that other half of the inner ear, as and as a mentor of mine would say, it's like duplex houses, they share the same electricity and plumbing system. <laughs> so it's the same innervation and the same blood supply, and there is a lot of the physiology that it is the same between the hearing organ and the vestibular organs. And so every time there is a sensory neurohearing loss, we have to think about whether there could be some disorder of the vestibular organs. And this is true for both adults and children. And it is even more important for us audiologists to be on the lookout for those disorders, for the vestibular disorders in children, because kids are not going to tell us that they are dizzy, are they? Yeah, no, that was definitely one of my my questions. (laughs) I'm sure it presents very differently in the pediatric population versus adults. Absolutely, yes. So it is almost an obligation of the audiologist to think about it every time you identify a sensory neurohearing loss, take a step back and think, could there be a vestibular loss, a, a, a comorbid vestibular loss going on here? And of course, it does depend on the cause of that hearing loss, right? So if you know it's an adult and it is for sure a noise exposure, noise-induced hearing loss, there is a smaller chance that there's going to be a vestibular disorder. But say if it is a child who has been diagnosed with CMV, they actually have more vestibular loss than hearing loss. So there is the prevalence of vestibular loss in, in kids with CMV is higher than the prevalence of hearing loss. So on those kids in whom we find a hearing loss, you almost have to stop and search for the vestibular loss in order to offer that person a comprehensive, complete audiology service. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't know that about CMV. So is this this sort of new knowledge or is this old knowledge (laughs) well relatively recent so there there's been more there's been advances in diagnosing cmp and there's been more screening there's been more like okay let's go back to that blood that was collected on that in hospital and so we we know and it it has been the past 
five to 10 years that we've known more about vestibular loss in, in kids. Here in Canada, I cannot speak about vestibular loss and hearing loss without mentioning Dr. Sharon Cushing from Sick Kids Toronto. She has been a force. She is an inspiration, one of the ENTs that respects audiology. Um, and she's an amazing person. I, every time I meet her, I feel energized by her passion for vestibular and for hearing loss. And so we've learned a lot from research. And the numbers are really shocking. You think about kids with hearing loss, up to 70% of them will have a vestibular loss. Mm. So all those kids that have hearing aids, 70% of them will have some degree of hearing loss. And 20 to 40% will have a severe vestibular loss, which can be bilateral. Even kids with a unilateral hearing loss, chances are higher, the high chances that they will have vestibular loss on that side too. And so this is something that must be on the radar of all the audiologists dealing with the pediatric population. It's out there. It's highly prevalent. Yeah. And like from your experience, how does it sort of present? Is mm. it super variable or is it, can it be really obvious or? Mm. I'm sure a child isn't going to say, well, they might say, I feel dizzy, but it's probably like, I walk into things a lot or something. I don't know <laughs> how it ah, presents differently with kids. That, that's a very, very good question. So in very young kids, before school age, um, toddlers, you will see in delayed motor development. So mm. you will see that this, this is a child that is 18 months old and might not be walking. Mm -hmm. It is a child that is a little bit older and is still walking and being wobbly and not necessarily running. It is a three, four-year-old who is not necessarily learning how to ride a bike or doesn't like the balanced bike. And then later in life, we'll see it's not a very, it's, it's a child who's not very athletic, not inclined to sports. It's the shy, quiet kid who reads a lot, who is not socializing, not playing, not jumping, not doing a lot of more physical stuff. So you can see that in how they move in the world, yes. Mm. But when a child is older and if they have a progressive vestibular disorder, such is the case of CMV, they may start to articulate that they have dizziness. And I've seen cases as young as five, six years old, and they say, yeah, no, things are, what mommy are, why are things going around? And they just sit down and they stop and sit down because things are, things are moving. Why are things moving? Mm -hmm. So they may say when they are older, but once again, for the younger crowd, you will you, you, the audiologist, the parents wouldn't notice in how they move and how they develop in terms of motor skills in the world. Right. Makes sense. And there, and there might be, so again, depending if they are having, it's not, say, a stable vestibular loss that was, say, for instance, meningitis. 
and it was a complete hearing loss and a complete vestibular loss. And that vestibular loss and hearing loss don't fluctuate. So then you will see just this delayed motor development and all those difficulties with playing sports and, and all of that. But say CMV and or enlarged vestibular aqueduct and other types of inner ear malformations in which there can be a fluctuation in hearing, you can expect that there can be a fluctuation in vestibular function. And these kids may have episodes in which they are just falling off. And as you said, walking onto things, Dr. Cushing has videos of little kids who are walkers, are already walking and playing on the playground, and they try and they veer and fall to the ground. And then kids are so resilient and that little girl stands up and tries again. And it, it is almost as if you see a force pulling her, pulling, and then she falls again and she mm -hmm. tries again. So parents may see those episodes in which the child's balance is not as good as their usual. And that should raise a concern. And again, for the audiologist to ask whenever there is a fluctuation in hearing, ask about this to parents. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. So in clinic, and this is sort of like a pediatric podcast, but it is sort of broad. But if we're thinking about pediatrics and in a clinic with kids, like things that we can ask, like that's a good example. You know, if the hearing loss is fluctuating, then that's a good indicator that we should ask about, does the balance also fluctuate? But are there other things that we can look out for? Sorry, not look out for, but other things that we can ask or yeah. sort of things that we can maybe screen for quickly in the clinic that could give you some yeah. answers. Yeah, and I would say both, Rebecca, that those are excellent steps that unfortunately we know that not many audiologists do. A few years back, there was a, a study that students from Dow and a colleague of mine, Janine Verge, they asked audiologists whether they asked their patients about falls in the pediatric and in the adult population. And in the pediatric population, more than 60% of audiologists is never asked about falls, never asked about balance. And we would hope for this to change, that we as audiologists again embrace that other half of the inner ear and start asking the question, do you have any concerns about your child's balance? Do you have any concerns about your child's motor development? Ask about motor milestones. When do they start to sit? Well, sitting unassisted is, is not very vestibular, but it is already vestibular, but then crawling and walking for sure. And then learning how to ride a bicycle and running. Is your child playing sports? Do they like it? How good are they? Are they feeling confident in that? Or, or again, sometimes it is as simple as asking parents, are you concerned? Because parents are mm -hmm. on the playgrounds. They are in the kids' birthday parties and they are noticing, hmm, everyone is doing that and climbing and going and my child isn't. And asking parents is, mm -hmm. is the first thing. Checking more on milestones. And then there are a few things that you can do for screening. And one is ask that child to stand on one leg. And it is as simple as that. And we can put a few, uh, like a little table for, for your listeners somewhere or on the website. Just a screening tool there. So 
by five, six years old, they should be able to stand on one leg for more than a few seconds. If they are unable, that should raise your concern and say, why don't we pursue a, a balance and vestibular assessment for, for your kid and just see, see what comes up. And I bet you a lot is going to come up. You will notice that things are going to come from those parents. Mm-hmm. It's just that they probably don't think about telling you that. They don't necessarily see this as within the scope of practice of the audiologist. And if the audiologist doesn't ask, it becomes this gray area that nobody's touching. Yeah. Nobody's <laughs> making nobody's making that relationship between balance and hearing. Yeah. If you don't, sometimes if you don't go looking for it, you won't find it, right? Ah, that's a very good quote. And I love it. You have to know what you're searching for in order for you to find it. Exactly. Yeah. So in BC with kids and vestibular, and there is some concern, where do they go? Or do like, is it? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know where we send them, you know? Oh, yes. That's a tough one. I have heard a few things about a service being implemented at Children's Hospital, BC Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. I do not know. I don't have any official information about that vestibular testing facility there in, in BC. I would say that then each audiologist should try and find a colleague, an audiologist within their region. So right now, we there are audiologists myself in private and other people in private in the lower mainland doing this tubular and any audiologists reaching out to us, we are going to try and be resourceful. There are audiologists doing vestibular on the island privately. There's one up north, there's one in the interior. So it is, we are few and far in between, but seek the ones of us who are doing some work in vestibular, even if it is in the adult population, we would be more than happy to give you resources and try and find then people who could be doing vestibular rehabilitation for these kids. The good thing is that we can test. It is not only hearing that we can test at young ages, we can also test the vestibular system at very young ages. We can adjust, again, very similar to what we do in hearing tests, that we adjust our testing battery according to the child's age and development, we do the same for vestibular testing. So then we would we would address it. It is trickier in the public system, yes. But yeah, it is even for adults yeah. now. The yeah. wait list is around a year mm-hmm. for adults. And so a child does not have the luxury of waiting a year yeah. for assessment, unfortunately. <laughs> like what are yeah, so what are some of these sort of I'm sure there's a lot of, as you've mentioned, undiagnosed, like the statistics of that, I'm sure are really high. And like some of the negative implications of of that down the road, you know, kind of going undiagnosed. Yeah. And I think it all boils down to quality of life, right? So these kids are already struggling because of their hearing loss. And we know that I I'm not going to talk about because it's well known all the impacts that hearing loss has in all aspects of a a child's development, academically, emotionally, socially, all of that. 
When you add a vestibular disorder that is undiagnosed, it is an invisible burden there for that child and that family. And I think that we can draw from our experience with the pandemic and what is the anxiety of not knowing? When you don't know, when there is something that is wrong and you cannot put your finger on it, unsettling. And it might be that it is very puzzling and, and you would see these kids and this, these families to just have moments where you go like, I did not know that. How, how didn't anyone tell me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is hard, right? And yeah, so- I mean. You can relate to that with anything. Like if there's something going on and you just don't know what it is, like even if it's for a short period of time, it can be, yeah, unsettling for sure. So to go through that for years and years would be, would take a real toll, I think, on a family as a whole. 100%. And I think that primarily it would add to an overall quality of life, but then there is going to be uh, some, some, uh, of course, obvious, more obvious impact in sports performance and that child not being very good and not being the one chosen for the team and not being very athletic. Mm-hmm. But what is interesting too is that again, from Sick Kids in Toronto, there's been now research looking into learning, learning in general. And what would a vestibular have to do with learning? Well, it has everything to do because spatial orientation has everything to do with learning. So when a child has hearing loss and vestibular loss, their sense of where they are in space is developing completely different than their hearing peers. And we are now learning that this has an impact on several aspects of learning, in attention, in memory, and in decoding in cognitive abilities. We don't know yet how this is directly or indirectly related. And I will make the comparison with oh, the link between hearing loss and dimension. And it might not be a direct link. It's not cause and effect necessarily. But we know that the vestibular system is one of the systems that is the bottom of the pyramid of learning in general. Mm-hmm. So it is not by chance that little kids play and just take do pirouettes. And then it, it was interesting. I, I remember Christmas time, I went to Van Dusen Gardens and there were two little girls and they were just spinning around and, and laughing and spinning around and laughing. And one of the parents came and said, stop girls, you're going to be, you're going to be dizzy. You're going to fall off. And then you're just looking at each other and speeding and laughing, and they couldn't care less that the parents would say that they were going to be dizzy and fall off. They want to be dizzy. They want that it's part of experimenting and growing and learning and learning about their bodies and how their bodies move in space. And this is, as I said, the bottom of the pyramid for many cognitive processes that are then impaired in these kids. To an extent that, again, we, we don't even know yet, but we, we have inklings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we see that. Are the, besides sick kids, is there other kind of big facilities looking at vestibular in kids? It may obviously, yeah. maybe not Canada, but. 
Ah, in the U.S., yes, yeah. and there is, and there is a large body of research coming from France. Okay. Um, in in pediatric vestibular disorders, um, yeah, many. Um, I believe Boys Town in the U.S. is one that has a strong vestibular department. So there are centers of in children's hospitals and audiology centers in the U.S. and this large facility in in France doing vestibular research and in Canada for sure. Dr. Sharon Cushing at Sick Kids. Okay, cool. This is probably maybe more related to like the adult population because that's a little bit of your domain with your clinic. But just a little bit about the rehabilitation process, just because I find that so mm. interesting, if you could share just a couple of like tidbits on that. I'm sure it varies probably for everyone. Every patient you see is probably very different. So yeah, like do you have to tailor that process for everyone? And what does that kind of look like? Yeah, and, and I like that we as audiologists is because of the fact that we have more diagnostic tools in our toolbox, we are better. And it is within our wheelhouse. We are very comfortable diagnosing things and saying, yes, you have a hearing loss of that degree affecting those frequencies. And this is the mechanism by which, say, if it's a conductive or sensory neuro hearing loss, we like that physiopathological way of thinking and seeing things. And when we apply that to the vestibular system, what I say to the patients is that, well, let's try and reverse engineer your distance. Let's try and understand how your distance did come about. And in that, we tailor vestibular rehabilitation very much so. We, again, I, I like to to say that this is a privilege of the audiologist. It's, it's a vantage point that we have that is very unique and we should take more advantage of that as opposed to physiotherapists who are not that familiar with the inner ear and tend to approach vestibular rehabilitation from a symptomatic perspective. So they say, well, you get dizzy with head movements. Here, just gonna give you a bunch of head movement exercises in many different ways in many different directions, and we'll see what happens. And that patient might not even understand, might never understand, why was it that I was getting dizzy in the first place when I moved my head? Whereas the audiologist will try to, okay, let me see, why is it that you're getting dizzy when you move your head? And when we figure out why, then we tailor the management strategies to that particular patient. Right. And it might be that, say for instance, and I will say, I will, I will use this example because it applies to both adult and pediatric population. Vestibular migraine, dizziness that is related to migraine activity in the brain. One of the most common causes of dizziness in both adult and pediatric population. And yes, the mechanism is really your brain being unable to process movement as well as it should, as well as your non-migrainer peers. And when you understand that this is a brain processing issue, then you can teach those, those patients how to prevent migraine activity, how to reduce migraine activity in the brain, as opposed to just, let me try an exercise and see what happens. So we can be 
more comprehensive, we can be more targeted, and, and hopefully we, we have better chances at, at addressing and helping those patients. So yeah, as tailored as possible. <laughs> That's kind of a good like full circle back to um what I was saying at the beginning about like it being kind of daunting, I guess, in a way to like get involved or even to like know where to begin, I think, um, can be challenging. So like, how can, how do we go about learning more about it? <laughs> Feeling like yes. Yes. You know, I, I will direct the listener to an article that I wrote for the Canadian audiologist a while back where I, I propose a tiered approach to vestibular disorders. Precisely thinking about how can an audiologist start dipping their tools into vestibular without the major uptaking of, okay, I'm going to buy many thousands of dollars pieces of equipment. I don't even know if I have anyone who is going to be interested in that. I don't know if I'm going to have referrals. Is this something that I really want to do? So how can you start dabbing? into vestibular with very little investment. And what I would say to the audiologist who's interested in starting to incorporate some vestibular work in their practice is to start asking questions in your case history as a way to start gauging. Are these people around me? Would I have, do I have anyone to practice? Is there, is there interest in me doing any vestibular in my community? And you will probably find that there is. And speaking of your community, start learning about in your community who is doing vestibular. So are there any physiotherapists who are really interested? Is there an ear, nose, and throat doctor who is interested? Or a neurologist who is doing this in, in, my, in my community? And then, of course, you can start very little with equipment. And you can just buy lenses that are frenzel glasses, frenzel glasses it's called. And it is not computerized, but it is just a way to start assessing simple things such as BPPD. And so it is a matter of starting slow, and then you can build your practice from there, from the demand that you see in our community, from the interest that you would see these other professionals having, from these connections that you make with them, and then, of course, you're going to start seeking more training. And yes, there is more training now being offered in Canada. And I am very happy to, to see that, that manufacturers and even SAC and CAA, they are starting to offer. And even uh, universities are offering more vestibular content. So seeking people who are in clinic, who are doing vestibular getting them as mentors, and then starting building a practice. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I think that's yeah. the main message yeah. I, that I have here for audiologists is you can start slowly and build your confidence in this vestibular. Yeah. Um, is there anything um, that you missed or like final yeah, thoughts what, or notes that we didn't hit on? 
Yeah, and I, I think I will just take a step back because I found myself talking about balance and vestibular kind of interchangeably. And I kind of want to, to talk a little bit more about what we, what is what. Yeah. And so when we when we talk about the vestibular system, it's really that forgotten half of the inner ear, as I say, right? So we are talking about the semicircular canals and utricle and sacral. And their specific connections to the brainstem and other parts of the brain. And so the central nervous system projections of the inner ear sensors. And this is vestibular, peripheral and central. The vestibular system is the primary source of information for the brain for human balance. So if you think about all the other mammals that are on four feet, whereas humans are on two feet and how our balance is very specific and very, it's a very complex system. The brain then gets information not only from the inner ear, from the vestibular system for balance, but it also gets information from vision and from proprioception. So all the sensation on skin, muscles, joints. So it's this tripod between inner ear, vision, and proprioception, all committed by the brain that we call balance. So balance is bigger. Balance is more or less the outcome. Balance is how well can I walk? Can I walk a straight line? Can I just do everything that I want to do and not feel dizzy? Versus vestibular, which is the inner ear sensors and their projections to the central nervous system. So again, it is within the scope of practice of the audiologist to assess the vestibular system as an essential part of balance. But we don't, I, I always say, we don't own balance. Right. <laughs> because again, balance involves the whole body and physiotherapists, kinesiologists, occupational therapists, and all sorts of people who, who deal with movement will also have within their scope of practice to work with balance. But this, the vestibular system is our wheelhouse, right? right. And, that and that's where all the magic, all the magic starts there. And that's where I, I always advocate for, again, us audiologists take that in. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, that makes I sense. Think. I mean, I'm uh, almost nine months pregnant right now. <laughs> And my balance is very much off <laughs> mm -hmm. and like tripped down the stairs yesterday. And it was just like, oh my God, like unrelated to the inner ear, perhaps to the vestibular. I don't know, but like, I'm definitely hitting things like hitting doorways or feeling off balanced. Yeah. Which yeah. probably has more to do, I guess, with my like center of gravity, but yeah, it's like the vestibular system incorporates balance, but does balance always incorporate the vestibular system? Hi, that's a, that's a very good question. So <laughs> the the balance always incorporate the vestibular system, and yeah, so balance uses the vestibular system. But using your perfect example, you can have a balance disorder, and the origin of it might not be vestibular at all. So. Chances are that your vestibular system is just fine with pregnancy. Everything is okay. But now it is your proprioception. It is your musculoskeletal system and your center of gravity has changed. And so there's a lot of 
a lot more mass <laughs> in her body. And then, yes, everything is being pulled forward because of your bum. big belly, because of your <laughs> bum, because of your little human being that you're carrying there. So it's heavy and it pulls you forward. And so adjusting, and I, and I always say, balances this very complex, very quick dialogue between the body and the brain, all these parts of the body and the brain, and then readjusting the body. So what you're telling me is that as I'm growing, Eric, I'm growing so large now that my brain isn't even able to catch up with how much more I'm being pulled forward and I am unable to readjust that very quickly. Mm -hmm. So that is part of the, the puzzle that I, that I find very attractive in vestibular diagnostic is just having someone come and tell me what is going on with them and me playing detective and trying to troubleshoot the whole system and try and understand what is going on and what could be causing that in order to just say, oh no, likely this is what is going on with you. And I have had actually patients who are pregnant and get a vestibular disorder. And then I would say, yes, right now, as you are eight and a half months pregnant, it's not a good idea for us to just do a lot of vestibular rehabilitation. And then it turned out that she was pregnant with the twin babies. The twins were born two weeks after, and then we started vestibular rehab. But as her body changed over growing a little bit more pregnant and yeah. then having the babies and then readjusting to having had a vestibular loss, that was quite the process for her. Mm -hmm. Right. So then there was vestibular and the body that was changing and it was quite a lot for her brain to process. Right. But again, I find I find it fascinating, right? You, you people can probably tell. And that is one of the things, again, going back to audiologists being involved in vestibular, there is a learning curve, not only with regards to doing vestibular testing that as opposed to just doing our regular hearing tests or even electrophys that you look at the waveforms, you are looking at eyeball movements. It, it can be daunting to just say, okay, I'm going to buy those VNG goggles be looking at eyeballs, what am I going to do here? Also, it can be a little bit daunting about learning about human balance and all these other concepts, center of gravity, ankle strategy, hip strategy. What is it? I feel a little bit like a physiotherapist. But once again, it is within our scope of practice and it is it is a fun thing to do. Yeah. Everyone's always interested in everything. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but my class was anyway. Yeah, and I and I do feel that there will be more of an interest, and there will we are seeing. I I am seeing more people being involved and and services starting to expand into not only hearing clinics but hearing and balance clinics or hearing and dizziness clinics, where even within hearing you don't only offer hearing, but you also offer tinnitus yeah. and, and hyperacusis and other concerns or auditory processing disorder services. And so I think that this broadening of the audiology is going to be welcomed by patients, by our clients. 
yeah. I think they will be interested in, in having us take care of more than one concern for them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what's next for you? Do you have, you've got things, yeah, talks there, and there are <laughs> papers or? Always, it's always good. There, there are always things cooking. So I will be at the SAC May event. So there is an event in Toronto, May 12th, I want to say. And I will be giving a whole day of talks. So the morning will be vestibular diagnostic, vestibular assessment. And then it is going to be my first vestibular rehabilitation talk the whole afternoon. Oh, cool. And I will, I will go into detail of how it is that we in audiology can approach vestibular rehabilitation. So I would love to see a lot of BC faces there in Toronto yeah. in May. I am working with Pacific Audiology Group on a fundamentals of vestibular assessment course. And I should be doing some scripting and some shooting of that course, but that's coming. Down yeah, the I was just talking with Chris yesterday, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm... I'm not doing so well with with the scripting, but I that's that is coming. I it's am, a lot of work, I'm sure, to write all of that. Yeah, you wouldn't think, but <laughs> yes, it is. When they explain to me, this is all you do, and I go like, oh, really? <laughs> all those steps. It seems easy, but but it isn't. We are, and and again, I so appreciate Chris and everyone at Pacific Audiology Group because the quality of this is going to be. Yeah, that's so cool. So people will be able to sign up for that course through Pacific Audiology Group. Yes. Yeah, yes. awesome. Very cool. And that and that will give audiologists is just the fundamentals, right? Okay, so yeah. how can I get comfortable with the basic initial uh, vestibular assessment, and then from there, hopefully, we can build on on something else. And then there is going to be another event back east in June with Diatech, which is um, representative yeah, for HR acoustics for equipment. And so stay tuned for that too. It, it will it will come. So more training opportunities. So it's going to be a busy first semester and I'm looking forward to all of that. Great. Awesome. Well thank you so much again for coming on and chatting. Thank you. We try and to release some um, episodes like monthly. So there'll be like a little bit of a lag from when this one gets out, but it'll still be very much relevant for sure. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a review. You can also register for our Partnership in Hearing community website using the link in the description below.